Hello, 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 everybody. This is David Delaney again back at you with the Sales Development Podcast. So glad you could join us. I am joined today by a excellent, excellent sales trainer and sales coach out in Indianapolis, Mr. Jim Brown. How are you doing today, Jim? David, I am better than I deserve. Thanks for having me. <laughs> nice. I'm so glad that you could join us, Jim, because, you know, like I said uh, before the show, a lot of the listeners on the call are SDRs, BDRs, ADRs, and they're, you know, trying to get into sales and move up um, in their career. So I really want to dig in on your advice there. But if any of the listeners aren't familiar with your work, tell us about, you know, who's Jim Brown? How'd you get into sales? And how'd you get to where you are today doing sales training? Happy to. I, I feel like I've been in sales my entire life. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was selling uh, my, my first for Ray, I guess, into sales was being a bookie in middle school. So I was selling squares to my friends uh, you know, at lunch to get their lunch money. Um, I've sold newspapers. I, I actually built a wrestling ring in my buddy's backyard and then sold wrestling training to my friends. And, and by the way, I did not know how to wrestle. So I just sold them something. And then I sold tickets to their friends to come see them wrestle after I trained them. So really feel like I've been in sales my whole life. But when it became a profession of mine uh, was when I got out of the Marine Corps, started my first business, and it was a graphic design business. And that's what I wanted to do as a career was be a designer. But David, what I realized was what I was really good at was talking to prospects or talking to clients and understanding what they really needed. And then being able to explain that and express that to a designer who what I found was often better than I was at doing the work. And and then I learned what the designer got paid and I learned what the prospect or the client was paying. And there was this big amount of money in the middle that I had to figure out who got. And what I realized was that was the salesperson. And so that's the role that I wanted to be. And that's kind of how I got into sales. Nice. Okay, that that's really really interesting because there's a lot of stuff there. One is that that entrepreneurial spirit that you know uh, seeing a a need and and filling it, it all the way back from your your wrestling <laughs> career that you had there. And then so we, once you found out that you know there was this margin that you could go after, what was your next move there? Did you just go on the sales side or uh, start working for a company? What did you do after that? Yeah, so it, it was my own business, and you know, at this, I was I was 22 years old at this time, and you know, the biggest problem that my buddies had was where they were going to go drink that night, and I just wasn't interested in that. Um, I had payroll, and I had employees that were making more than my friends were making, and so I had to to pay for that, and to, in order to do that, I had to go sell something. And you know, early on, David, I, I'll be very clear, I did not know what I was doing. Um, people were buying from me. I think it's because I was young, naive, and I, I, I hope I was mildly, you know, good looking at that point. I, I've definitely aged, but, um, you know, they were buying from me. And so it didn't matter. What really started to get to me was I started to lose some deals and lose some opportunities and I could not figure out why. And, and honestly, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I love telling the story in the matter of two weeks time, uh, my career completely changed. I had been introduced to a guy by the name of Andy Ellsbury and come to find out that another person that I was working with gave me Andy as a, a lead or a referral, if you will, Come to find out later, it's because he couldn't sell the person, but he gave him to me and I went to sell to Andy. And fortunately, I knew what I was talking about. But at, we get toward the end. He said, Jim, I, I got to ask you, where did you learn how to sell? And, you know, I'm, I'm very uh, egotistical at this point, very proud of myself. And I just leaned back in my chair, you know, kind of adjusted my shirt. And I said, you know, <laughs> I, I'm self-taught. 
And he kind of looked at me and said, well, it shows because you suck. And I was like, whoa, okay. Um, you know, go on, tell me why. He says, look, I'm going to buy from you because I actually feel like you know what you're talking about and can solve my problem, but you suck at sales. Huge, huge awakening for me at that point, but it didn't do enough to make me change anything. It just made me aware. And I kid you not, David, a week later, I'm sitting at Starbucks and I will never forget it. I was at 126th Street in Allisonville in Fishers, Indiana, and I was pitching someone else, right? Because I thought that's what sales was. It was just pitches. So I was pitching someone else and he was staring out the window the entire time, never looked at me. Oh boy. And we got to about 10, 15 minutes in and, and I said, Matt, um, I, did I do something to offend you or like what? He goes, oh, were, were you trying to sell me? Because you're really bad at this. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's that's two in a week. So what, what's going on? And um, it, it, he changed my life that day. So he actually was a, a Sandler sales trainer. And he goes, look, if you want to figure out how to do this professionally, I'd be happy to help you out and do that. And so I wrote, you know, one of the largest checks that I've personally ever written to him. And it was definitely worth more than my college education. But anyway, um, for the next 10 years, I was a client of his and he taught me the ins and outs of professional selling. Okay, this is really interesting. I've got so many questions for you. But the the first one that pops to mind is I want to go into what Sandler selling is and how it affected you and what that entails. Because like I said, it's really a popular program out here in the Bay Area, and I want to understand why that is. But the first question that I have for you is, are salespeople born salespeople, or can you train somebody who's not a born salesperson and make them into an effective salesperson? Yeah, so I'm going to squash that notion immediately. No way on earth are salespeople born. You know, are, are there are there salespeople who have a, a, a natural gift of gab? Are there salespeople who are naturally able to just connect with people? Of course. But here's why I had to end up going and getting sales training myself. It's because salespeople are made. Salespeople need to follow a process. And, and honestly, this is not a commercial for Sandler. We don't even have to talk about Sandler. And honestly, we just put that, put that to the side. But salespeople need a system. They need a process because you need to understand that where you are in your process matters. What are the things that cost somebody to go from being a prospect to being a first appointment? What are the things that cost somebody from going for, to a, from a first appointment to having a real discovery or a demo or you know whatever it is that, that you're presenting to them? What are the qualification steps that determine whether or not that person should get a proposal? What are the qualification steps that determine if that proposal could actually become good business for you, right? But if you don't have that system or process for yourself, you have to adopt the buyer's system. And David, I will tell you, buyers don't know how to buy. They just don't. They're, they're looking for someone to guide them in this process. Now, you can read all the, the crap online that says buyers are 67% of way, the way through the sales funnel before they reach out to a salesperson. And I'm sorry, but that's bullshit. They don't. If, if Google could answer that, well, let me backtrack. Google has given content to so many people right now. It's just the wrong content because the buyer doesn't know the right question to ask. And so where a salesperson today has to live is in the understanding of, look, I know you've done all your research, you've done all this, but I want to actually frame what the problem, the real problem is that you have. And I want to try to solve that. And so that's where I say absolutely, without a doubt, salespeople are made, not born. Okay. All right. So you're putting a stake in the ground there. And, and uh, we've all worked with people who are like, 
the the that guy or that gal is a born salesperson, right? Yep. But but you're saying that even if you're not like that, you can still learn this stuff. And the other the other thing that comes to mind is I've been on the buyer side as a a business person who has a an issue, you know, that they're trying to solve. And so you you put out an inquiry to like three different vendors. And what I've seen is and maybe this is just in software tech, but they they have a process, but the process sucks. In right. that they just get on the phone and they might ask like one or two questions and then they just launch into this this um PowerPoint slide deck thing that's like you're you're the equivalent of staring out the window. You're actually looking at your phone, texting, like, you know, you just get so bored with this in the thing. And then at the end they're like, All right, what's the next step? And you're like, dude, that was so boring and it, it, yeah. it was just didn't, you know, help me to solve my problem. I just looked at some slides. Right. So what's or, going or, on or there, the salesperson Oh yeah, or the salesperson asked the question. So any questions? Well, no, you, you didn't do anything like, sure. I understood everything you just said, but you just read a PowerPoint slide to me. You could have sent that to me. Right. Exactly. So what, what should they do? Okay. What do you teach people? Like, you know, say I, I'm sitting there and I'm running a sales development team and I notice that the data really sucks in my CRM. You know, we, we've got old data, you know, stuff like that. So I've got this serious problem. I need to attack. Right. So I put out three inquiries to the big data providers that are out there in the marketplace that have good reputations. And each one of them gets back to me. They set up a call. How should they run that call? Yeah. So the the very first thing that I do, I do is what, what I call an upfront contract, right? So no matter who I'm talking to, how I start the meeting is always going to be the same. So David, hey, thanks for scheduling some time to talk today and inviting me in. Uh, you know, I've got a full agenda that I think I need to get through. But before we even start, what were you hoping to get out of today's conversation? Okay. I like I, that. I like that. Yeah, so I, I say, I, I want to, and, and not to roll, I'm talking over you. I'm sorry. I, I said I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> Not okay. to, we don't have to role play, but we'll, you, you kind of, yeah, play it out the way that you would teach your students. Yeah. So I, I literally do that. And, and those words are almost verbatim exactly what it is. And, and at this point, again, what, I, what I've heard you say, so the context of our, our exchange here is that you've basically requested a demo, right? That's, that's where we are in the process. So I have to understand what it is that you're looking for and say, hey, what are the top one, two, three things you're hoping to get out of today's call? Now, what likely happens, they say, well, I'm just looking for a demo, right? To which my response is going to be somewhere in lines of, you know, I would be happy to demo this product for you. But if I go through every single feature, bell, whistle, and, you know, all that kind of stuff that we have, it takes about three hours. So I'm happy to do that. I've got nothing else on my calendar. Um, or we can have a five, 10 minute conversation and help me better understand what you're looking for. And then I can just show you the parts of the software that are relevant to that issue. It's your choice. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So then they tell you like, okay, I, you know, I've discovered that the data sucks in my CRM and we really need to change that. And, or, you know, I give you a few points and then how do you take it from there? Right. So all you're doing at that point, if you think about sales or you think about pain as like a, an iceberg, right? How much uh, percentage wise of an iceberg is above water? Maybe 10%, right? Well, that, that pain that they just gave you or the reason why they reached out, they're just giving you the tip of the iceberg. And it's, it's what I call a pain indicator. So it's true. It is a pain indicator. Uh, but one, it may not be the actual pain indicator that is going to get you the biggest uh, contract that you want to get. 
Or it could be that uh, not be a pain indicator that's going to lead to the emotional reason why that person's going to buy. Because I'm very clear with everyone I work with, people do not buy uh, intellectually. They buy emotionally and rationalize after the fact. So I have to tie that intellectual description of their pain they just gave me. So in your case, we've discovered that the data is dirty and we need to fix it, right? That's an intellectual description. But I've got to follow up with you and say, David, when, when, so I hear you say that, but what do you mean? Like what's actually going on? And you're going to take me deeper into that, right? But I, as a salesperson, still want to be skeptical that that's even a problem you should be solving. And so I'm going to push back. Uh. It doesn't matter what you say. I'm going to push back and say, well, I, I don't understand. Like, okay, yeah, that you, you told me it's an issue, but why is that an issue? Is, is it causing any problems for you right now? And I'm playing the role of a dummy on purpose because that's how I get context to the content that they're giving me. Okay, tell me more about that. So you're, tr- you're trying to get context. And I've read a few things like because there's so much – information online that people can get. They can do all this research, but the real value of a great salesperson now is the context. So what does that mean, context? That's right. So it's it's the why. It's the why behind whatever problem is that they have. And what I'm looking for, David, is I want to understand how it's affecting them per- personally, right? So if you know, you're the one doing this to me, and I know you, we're not going to role play, but if, if I was talking to you, I want to understand, okay, David, with your role, how is this affecting you on a day-to-day basis? Secondarily, I want to understand how it's impacting your business, but those two things are the reasons why it's affecting you. That's what I'm going to be able to sell to, right? So one of the things that I teach the, the clients that I work with is the greatest presentation that you will ever give is the one your prospect never sees. And what I mean by that is you need to know the questions to ask your your prospect that no other salesperson is asking them. All the other salespeople out there in the world, well, I was going to go on a tangent. I'm going to leave that for another day. I was going to tell you about why uh, we are where we are in sales. But like I said, I'll leave that to another day. Okay, I want to hear that. But So remember that, but go on. Sure. So all these other salespeople out there are just, you know, showing up and throwing up their information because, well, they they requested a demo. It's what I have to do. And it's my job. It's you know whatever. But if I start to truly understand the why behind this and I start asking you questions that no one else is asking you, it shows you that I have solved this type of problem for other people before. Right. And so what I want to make sure that I'm doing is I'm, I'm not just going to tell you what I do, because if I just say, hey, we're the greatest you know, CRM system or the data supplier or, or whatever it is in the world and our data is 99 percent more accurate than all, you can tell me I'm wrong and I have nothing to combat that with. However, if I start to ask you questions and tell you stories about how I've solved similar problems for other people, you can no longer tell me I'm wrong. You can't tell me I didn't solve a situation for someone else because I did, and you can call them and ask them. But if it's just me showing up and throwing up, you can hide behind the phone and say, "Mm, you're wrong, I don't believe you. In my experience on the buyer side, what usually happens is you identify a need, you know, on on some level, like you're saying, maybe you're not even asking the right questions internally as a buyer, but you've identified this need. So you, you need to talk to at least three vendors so that you can take that information back to who's ever going to sign off on the purchase and say, I've, I've spoken to these three, here are the pluses and minuses, and here's what the direction I think we should go. I think we should go with this one. And then somebody else decides, right? So 
that person who's deciding doesn't want to sit on all the vendor calls because they're they're very time consuming. They just want the person to go and find the information and bring it back. So how does the salesperson get involved in that conversation that they don't have any power over because they can't be in the office with the person that's going in and asking for the money. So let me ask you this as a reverse question. When did the salesperson know that that's how the situation was going to play out? Well, it, yeah, that's a very good question because did they ask, do they have any idea, especially when you're doing it over the phone, you've never met this person, you're just doing a slide deck, you know, march or whatever you call them, and you never ask what the decision-making process looks like. Or sometimes they do ask that, but it's very clunky and and you know the, you get sort of taken aback if you're the the information gatherer and you don't really want to share that information so what if i did it this way right and, and again this it might have turned to a little bit of role play but that's just because it's how the information is going about the best but if i, if I yeah. said to you david hey so you know really appreciate you you reaching out and, and we've talked about a lot of things today but hey the last time you guys made a data acquisition or a software purchase like this, what did that process look like for you guys? Okay. Right? Yeah, I Who like that. Who was involved? How long mm -hmm. did that take to, to get signed, right? I'm looking now for cast of characters. I want to understand their timeline so that I can start to put a real forecast together instead of saying, oh my gosh, I just got off the phone with a good one. I know it's going to close this week, right? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's not going to happen, right? But I just asked that question. It's like, hey, the last time you did this, what did that process look like, Right. And that's what I want to start to be able to pull out of these conversations instead of just, as you said, going through a slide deck because they don't work. When they when they finally you, you've you're the, as the salesperson, you've gotten this information. So you understand he or she is going to have to walk the information into somebody else's office when they're having that meeting. Is there anything that the salesperson can do to influence that or is it just hope for the best and cross your fingers? Well, there's a few things, right? And and the first is you have a choice as a salesperson whether or not you want to participate in a process that's like that. And so one of the things that's very important for me is that I create equal business stature. And part of equal business stature for me is that I have just amount just the same amount of right to say no in this process as you do, the customer. Right. So I'm going to put on the table my card to say, hey, by the time we get through this whole process, there's a chance that I may have to tell, you no, David, are, are you OK if I have to tell, you no in this process? Now, what I get often is, well, hold on. Wait, you would you would tell me no. Well, yeah, I would. There's there's many different things that about our system that don't work for everybody. And so if I recognize that, I'll just go ahead and be upfront and tell, you no, is that OK? And it, it throws them aback because most salespeople won't do that. Like, what do you mean you would tell a prospect no? I want to have that right. And by establishing that, I get to set the, the ground rules of how our engagement's going to go. So that's number one. I get to choose whether or not I want to participate in the process that you've defined. Okay. After I've chosen to participate, what I want to do now to go potentially above your head without pissing you off is ask you questions that I know you can't answer. So I will entertain you and I will ask all the service level questions that, that I know you have and that you need. But then when I really want to start to understand the bigger why you're doing this as an organization, I'm going to ask questions that I know you can't answer. And after question three or four that you can't answer, and again, I've already asked how this process is going to lay out and you've told me who else is involved, I might say, hey, it, would, would Mike know the answers to these questions? Like, yeah, Mike's the guy who's ultimately going to decide this. I'm like, 
does it make sense to bring Mike in at this point just to answer these couple of little questions? Like, you know what, Jim, I think that would actually be a good thing. Let me let's schedule a call with him. Right. And that's how you start to work around that and get above someone's head again without pissing them off because they still are your champion. Yeah, no. And and that that reveals a lot, because if the person who you're talking to is on a rogue you know, mission and they're just gathering information for their own purposes and they haven't talked to Mike yet about what they're doing. You can sniff that out early and know, okay, this is just a fact finding mission. This person is not actually, you know, even talking to their boss about this yet, which I've seen happen before. Yeah. I've done that before. <laughs> well, of course. But again, it's 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 your choice as the salesperson whether or not you want to participate in that. You're allowed to say yes, but you're also allowed to say no, and that's really important. Yeah, I mean, don't don't clutter up your pipeline with something that's never going to happen. So this is great. This is great, Jim. So and I love every company loves a great salesperson and I I can tell that you know, just in our short conversation, the system and process that you're training people on makes people great salespeople. And that's why, you know, the Sandler system has such a great reputation. You know, let's take it back to the sales development reps. Most of the folks listening to this are sales development reps, and they want to become salespeople at some point. We love salespeople. They they bring in the bucks for the company. They get paid really well, but it's a really hard job, as you're describing. You have to know all this stuff going in, and you've got to uh, have pipeline accuracy every month to make sure that you know you're forecasting correctly and you're making your number. So, can you off the top of your head, two or three things that a sales development rep can be doing right now to prepare to step up to the next level in their career? as a salesperson. So hopefully I'll remember all three of these as I start talking, but yeah, definitely. Number one is they have to realize that the SDR role is the hardest job in sales. I'm not joking about that at all. When you master the ability to open up a new door and open up a new opportunity with a cold contact, that is the hardest job in sales. And so, again, if you can accomplish that, your sales career is going to end up being amazing because even once you graduate, if you will, or get promoted to becoming an AE, please, please, please keep prospecting, keep doing your own deals, right? Don't just rely on the leads that are coming from the the SDRs or from your company. Do your own prospecting. You were good at it for a reason. So that's definitely number one. The second one is create a relationship with the account executives and understand what a good meeting is for them, what a bad meeting is for them, what they want more of, what they'd rather not have, you know, certain things. And as you start to understand those patterns, and again, keep asking questions. Don't just settle for the tip of the iceberg. Go below the surface. Say, okay, hey, I set three appointments for you last week. Only one of them actually moved on. What was it about the other two that wasn't any good? Because you're doing a couple things. One, it's going to make you better as an SDR. But now you're really starting to understand that role. It's like, okay, when I heard them say this up front, I should have known that it was going to be just somebody out on a fact-finding mission. And my, I know my AE doesn't want that, right? So when you start to have that balance with your AEs, now you really start to get a better sense of the whole process. Um, and yeah, and I, I think the last one, um, everybody wants to be a closer, right? That, as you said, that's where the money gets made. It's where the revenue comes in for the company, et cetera. But I just, I, you can't control the close. You can't, we cannot 
control when someone signs a contract, right? And, and, and one of the things that I hate the most in technology and software sales is you get to the end of the month or the end of the quarter and all of a sudden you start introducing a new price to your prospects called discounts. Well, the thing is, it doesn't matter that it's the end of the month or the end of the quarter. As soon as you introduce that discounted price, that became your new price for that customer. And it doesn't matter if they wait two more weeks or two more months at this point. You've already introduced the new price to them. And so because we can't control that, I want to actually focus on the things that we can control. Right. So and the only thing we can control is our upfront behaviors and activities. What are we doing every single day to make the conversion rates happen on the other end? So if I've got a big fat pipeline and I know that I convert 40% of those, well, how many opportunities can I put in there that I know I'm going to close at 40%? And again, it goes all the way back to start opening up more contacts, do more prospecting, because that's the stuff you can control every single day. I love those points. That's perfect. So the first one is become a great SDR, right? Because that's going to serve you throughout your career. Learn everything that you can about the position that you're in right now and how to be great. Jim, what do you say to somebody who, okay, man, I was an SDR for two years. I worked my ass off. I made 100 calls a day. I talked to millions of people, and now I'm an AE, so I'm done. <laughs> like I am done with that. I'm going to work with my SDRs and marketing to get the leads, and I'm going to go close deals. What do you say to somebody who says that? Look at your pipeline. <laughs> Look at your pipeline. I mean, it, does it have the amount of deals there or, or not even deals, the opportunities that you need in order to hit your number and not even hit your number? Because here's another thing that and I go against the grain on this. I hate quotas. I do. I, I hate them. And it's not because most salespeople can't hit them. It's because the best salespeople look at that quota and be like, oh, that's my number. OK. And they go hit it. But what if the number was 2x that? Right. They could actually be doing more. And I think the quotas are actually limiting uh, in, in a lot of regards. And so it's, it's one of the challenges that I have. But but regardless, look at your pipeline. And I and I know, again, we've already talked about it, it's the hardest job in sales is opening up new opportunities with prospects. But and I'm not telling you to make 100 a day as an AE. But what if you made five targeted cold calls or cold outreaches every single day as an AE? Right. What if you had your target 20 that you wanted to get into that no one else was working on? Right. Maybe it's your dream clients. One of mine is target. I have still not sold to target. I will sell to target in my career, but I have not yet done that. And I will break in at some point. Um, but but have a target 20 that you're, you want to go after that's outside of everything else that's being given to you by the company or by your your SDRs. Do a little bit every day. It's just like exercise. Never never miss a day. Eat right. Exercise. You'll stay in shape. It's the same with prospecting, right? But what do we do, Jim, about, um, about quotas then? If we get rid of quotas, I read a book called The Machine. Highly recommend it. It's really interesting. One of the things the guy says in it is, you know, get rid of commissions for salespeople. Don't have commissions anymore. Just pay them a a salary and, and stuff like that. So kind of different thinking there. So if we get rid of quotas, what do we do? Yeah. And I'm not going that far to say completely get rid of them. I just say that they actually are limiting in, in behavior. So, um, the largest quota that I ever had personally as a, as a sales rep was $4 million and I hit it, but I, it was just there. It was an arbitrary number. I probably could have done six, but once I knew that my pipeline had everything I needed to hit my quota and, and I, again, salespeople are smart. They look at all the different things in their comp plan. They're going to get them the next levels of things. I kind of looked at it and said, okay, I've hit every multiplier. I've hit every accelerator. 
there really isn't an opportunity for me to make that much more money. So I'm just going to play a little bit more golf and I'm making a really good living. So that's what I mean. It's, 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 it's a, it's a limiting factor. It still needs to be a carrot out there, but that's, that's my challenge with it. So would you say, you know, make your own quota? Um, I mean, I, I, not to be like a self-help guru or something like that, but it's just like if your quota is 500 K, you know, make it a million and try to hit that or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Make it, make it a stretch goal and, but make the stretch goal so much higher than what your actual quota is that you have to actually put in some work. And what that's going to do, it's going to force you to go outside of your comfort zone. Cause like I said, I mean, once I, I saw the path to getting my number, I was like, eh, I, I'm good. I know I'm going to hit this. So yeah. So make it a lot bigger than uh, what your actual quota is. Nice. Okay. And now tell me about you, your, you know, like daily routine. You're a salesperson and an entrepreneur at the same time. So do you set a quota for yourself or do you have, um, you know, a daily activity regimen that you put in as, you know, Jim Brown enterprise? <laughs> I do. I do. Absolutely. So, um, the, being a sales coach and a sales trainer, um, is one thing that's the delivery side of the business, but the real business I'm in is the prospecting business. Because if I'm not prospecting myself, there's no one to actually coach or train and no income coming in for me. Um, so I do, I practice everything that I preach. Uh, my goal is to call 10 CEOs every single day. So today's Wednesday that we're uh, recording this show. I have made 30 cold calls to CEOs this week. I have had five connects. I have set two appointments and one of them referred me to the, the, another person inside their organization that would be better for me to talk to. Now, that was just direct from the outreach of a cold call. Since then, I've also had six of those CEOs return my voicemail or add me on LinkedIn and request a meeting. So it's one of the frustrations that I have with my clients when they tell me, hey, Jim, the phone doesn't work anymore, or you definitely can't get CEOs on the phone because I'm literally doing it every single day. Nice, dude. Those are some very impressive results. And um, does the Sandler system include prospecting, you know, training or, or is it mainly once you've already set the meeting? It does. You know, one of the things that Sandler does is they have the, su the submarine and there's seven compartments to the submarine. And the very first one is prospecting. It's opening up new doors for you know, new opportunities, because if you don't have that, none of the rest of the sales funnel makes any sense. It doesn't matter. OK, cool. So can a team have someone from Sandler come in and, and do a classroom training? Is it online? How does that work? Yeah. So most, uh, I, I don't even know the number. I think there's like a 150 something uh, uh, Sandler offices throughout the United States and there's more throughout the world. But yeah, I mean, so you would just reach out to your local uh, Sandler office and they would come in. Now I want to be very clear though. Um, content is one thing. Context is another. So again, that's why I'm saying this is not a commercial for Sandler. It's, it's anybody that you may work with, right? But understand the content they deliver is one thing, but make sure they actually have context. Make sure that they actually have done some of the things that you're trying to get accomplished and they're not just reading from books and things like that. Now, I'll give you an yeah. example why. So uh, I had a prospect that I was reaching out to and they said, hey, we're good. We're already working with somebody. They told me who it was. And, and, and I knew that person's background and I will never talk bad about competition and I don't think that anybody in sales should. Uh, matter of fact, if you compliment your uh, competitors in the sales process, it does two amazing things for you. One is it makes you look like a good guy. But the number, the second one is if I say, oh, you're working with so-and-so, they're really good. 
oftentimes, this happens more often than you would think, the prospect will say to me, it's like, well, they're not that good. Nah. And all of a sudden you say, <laughs> well, what do you mean? And now they open up to you and tell you why they're talking to you now at this point. So anyway, getting back to my story. So I called on this prospect. They told me who they was working with. It's like, oh, you know, they're really good. Um, and they're like, well, we've had some challenges. Like, what do you mean? And we started going down that path. He said, well, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to move upstream. We're now starting to sell into the enterprise space. And, you know, one of our deals had to go to procurement. And we had never done that before. And so we called our sales coach and we said, hey, what should we do about a deal that has gone to procurement? We don't know how to, to handle this. And his response to them was, well, if you were any good at your job, you were, your deal would not have to go to procurement. And anybody who has ever sold into the enterprise space knows that that deal is going to procurement and you better have left something for procurement, especially if it's a, it's a seven figure deal or above. And so that's what I mean by, again, just having context around anything is a great thing. I mean, we, there's tons of books out there, tons of great books. And, you know, I've read several of them four, five, six, seven times. And over the years, the content of that book hasn't changed, but my context and what I know and understand and the new worldview that I have has literally changed the content for me. And it's just impacted me in a different way. So, so I apologize. I went over the board there. Yes, you could absolutely reach out to a local Sandler uh, office rep and have them come in and do just prospecting training and just being able to open up new opportunities. I love that. And and with those results, and if you do it a little bit every day, it's it's got to be pretty effective training. And um, you know, just a quick point on on your story. We say a lot on this show. In the future, you know, you've probably heard this, but in the future, there's only going to be two jobs. You either tell the robots what to do, or you get told what to do by the robots. <laughs> and, yeah, and it's like absolutely. that context is why great salespeople are so valuable right now because the robots are not able to do that yet. Yet. And hopefully not within our lifetime so that we have jobs. But. <laughs> <laughs> you know, adding I, that, I think yeah. I think the two of us are good, David. We're we're going to be here for a while uh, <laughs> so. because again, we're going to continue to provide that context, and that's the important part for us. Yeah, and and you know, it, Jim. The other quick thing is, I I'm really curious about Sandler training, and that's why I keep asking. That there's no, I'm not being paid by Sandler training to to do this call or anything like that. But um, the w last quick thing is, I sold sales training for seven years for a company called Achieve Global. And they eventually became part of the Miller Hyman group. Mm -hmm. But if you go to meetups or you talk to people out here in Silicon Valley, no one's ever heard of Miller Hyman or it's very rare that it, that that name comes up or even more achieve global because I don't even think they're around anymore, but almost everyone's heard of Sandler and they've used Sandler and they are going through Sandler and I, you know, just, you know, speculating, why is it that there's there's a lot of sales training companies out there, but Sandler seems to have such a foothold in the Bay Area? Well, there's a gentleman by the name of Guru Ganesha who has kind of owned. Yes. Yeah. So Guru That's has. the guy. Uh, yeah. So he has owned the Silicon Valley market for, gosh, 30 years now, something like that. He trains Oracle and I mean, just all the big companies out there are working with Guru. Um, so th that that's part of it. Right. And, and it's his thing. But, you know, I, I think that the other uh, 
sales systems out there, again, there's good from everything. And, and people even tell me, you know, that they're a challenger sales model. Well, that's great. Challenger sale is a book and it really only focuses on one part of a sales process, but that's a story for another day. I think the biggest thing though, is a lot of the systems are all about motivation and abundance. And that's fine. And I love motivation and abundance, but the reality is Sales doesn't work until someone hands you a check and a contract is signed. And that's what Sandler focused on. They focus on the actual pains that people have as opposed to just the positive mental attitude. And that's a big difference in, in a lot of worlds. Some of the people that I replace, um, that's what they do, right? And, and the, the, my customers have said to me, Jim, we're tired of the motivational BS, and we just want something that actually works. We get tired of hearing our reps being told, look, there's plenty of opportunity out there. Just think positive things and it will come to you. No, there's a systematic process that if I just follow this step and then this step and then this step, I can create a, a, a scalable, repeatable process that is going to have predictable outcomes. And that's what we're looking for in sales. And that's what Sandler provides. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that, that is super valuable. And I've heard of Guru Ganesh. He's all over the place out here. Um, and so I, I need to get him on the show, actually. He's <laughs> 30 years. He's probably got a lot of good stories as well. Um, so, but no, that totally makes sense. And now I, I've, I've got a better uh, view about, you know, how it came about. So, well, Jim, this has been amazing. Um, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I think folks got a lot of value out of the call. Um, thanks so much for being on the show. And if people want to get in touch with you, how, how do they go about doing that? Sure. If you want to hear my daily musings or ramblings, you can find me on Twitter and that's just Jim underscore Brown. Uh, if you want to connect on more of the professional side, uh, just look me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm Jim Brown. And if you type in sales tuners, which is a, a podcast that I do on a similar topic, uh, you can find a lot of my content out there as well. And that's just salestuners.com. The sales tuner website is amazing. Um, if you guys haven't gone to salestuners.com, you know, there's little blurbs about each of the episodes. There's ways to subscribe. And, you know, you've done a tremendous job on the website. So, Jim, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, and being on the Sales Development Podcast. David, it's been a pleasure. I had a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Is your sales development program firing on all cylinders? Are your people, processes, and technology aligned to get you the appointments, pipeline, and close one you need to be able to hit your goals? Finding experts in the field of sales development is a real struggle, but you have to hit your pipeline numbers today, not sometime in the future when you can step back and take a wider look at your program. TenBound is ready to help. Head over to TenBound.com for more information and to sign up for a free assessment of your current program. That's TenBound.com.